Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. But uh, my name is Brandon Miller, and I'm one of the pastors here at Canvas Church. And uh, who's enjoying the, the, the Song of Solomon series so far? Yeah! We're, only, we're only one sermon into it so far, but last week was really awesome. And, uh, and I'm excited about this. I know that uh, at least one or two people in church here said that uh, their uh, you know, Christian college professor told them, there's no church that will ever preach on the Song of Solomon. Just watch. But we, are, we will do it. We are that church. So the, uh, the intro was great last week. And um, uh, it, just for if you don't know, my name's again, Brandon, one of the pastors here. I, it, most of you know my wife, Melissa. She's not here, unfortunately. Uh, she thought I was going to be preaching on sex, but that's next week. So she didn't want to be here and be embarrassed. So, um, actually not really, my, uh, my daughter's a little sick and under the weather, so, uh, but as we go through this, uh, this last week we talked about uh, attraction and the art of attraction, and, uh, and I thought that was amazing, and then, uh, today we're going to be talking about, uh, the dating season, and, uh, we're going to move into, uh, great sex next week, so, uh, Pastor Ben would not let me preach on that, unfortunately, uh, told me I couldn't, wasn't allowed to, and my wife, I think, told him I shouldn't, uh, and then uh, after that, we're talking about conflict. And conflict, if handled right, should lead you back to more sex, if, if you're married. And then dealing with conflict, uh, after that, we're going to talk about uh, deeper love and till death was part. And, and really, the Book of Solomon is really an amazing song. Uh, there's lots of allegory and symbolism, and it is a lot of fun. It's not a book that we talk about a lot. Um, but as Pastor Ben said last week, it, it can get spicy. So definitely PG-13. Uh, if there's anyone under 13, probably, you know, check out the kids' ministry. But, uh, but we're going to dive into some great stuff. And uh, today, I know that as we talk about dating, it's going to be challenging. And uh, as we move through these different, different sermons, there's going to be a lot of things that are counterculture. They're, they're not things that you've done uh, in the past. And, and honestly, they're things that, that I know that I've not done perfectly in my life. And, and I love what Pastor Ben was saying when, he's, when he was up here earlier uh, after worship, uh, describing how we can proclaim the goodness of God. And, and again, it's not, you know, like the, like the football player who's boasting on himself, but we boast in, in our God. And so as I get up here and talk about dating, I, I want to be really upfront that I'm not up here telling you that I've done everything perfectly. Is that okay? All right, can I just be real with you that I've done things my way and I've done things God's way, and they're very different, and they have very different results in my life. And so I've made a lot of mistakes, and the, and the standards that, that I believe in, I've not always lived up to. And so I want to be honest about that up front, that I'm going to talk to you today, not a lot of academics on uh, points. In fact, my notes are pretty sparse, honestly. I'm going to be telling you a lot about, uh, obviously, the Word of God, but, but really my experience, how that's plays, played out, and hopefully through some of my successes and my failures you can learn how to better love God and how to better love people and to have godly relationships through which we can see the fulfillment of what God has designed for us. Because at the end of the day, as we talk about relationships, we have examples all around us in coworkers, in media, in movies, in culture, in magazines. And, and if you look at all the things around you, who's to say what's right and wrong and Who's to say what's the best thing for you? And who's to say what works and what doesn't work because we're all so different? 
And so at the end of the day, when I've done things my way and the world's way and I've done things God's way, I, I choose to believe more and more, like, like Pastor Ben said, that, that this, has, this is backed up. That, that when I've taken a step of faith and said, I'm going to try it God's way, not to live by the rules, not by living in religion, but by saying, God, I want to follow whatever you tell me to do. And if you speak through this, if you speak through my pastor, if you speak in any way, I want to do what you tell me to do. And as I've honored that and taken that step of faith, that's where I see the fruit of fulfillment and satisfaction and, and peace. And, and so, again, I've done things other ways, and I've seen very different results. And so I want to talk to you about a few of those things here today. So let's go ahead and dive into the text. We were in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, last week, and we ended uh, in chapter 2, verse 7, which says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases or in its due season. And so that's where we ended last week, and we're going to continue on from there. And again, this is a song or a poem, and there is a lot of symbolism. And so don't get caught up if you're not familiar with the Bible and think, oh, I, this doesn't make any sense. What is this? And, but we'll, we'll dive into it, and it'll, it'll be fun. So verse 8, and again, this is the bride adoring her beloved. So in verse 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes Leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. It sounds like Superman leaping tall buildings in a single bound, doesn't it? Verse 9, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Now, men, as we talked about last week, we don't want to use some of these compliments on the women. Your hair is like goats coming down the mountain, okay? Or, you know, your, your teeth are not missing its pair. You have all your teeth. Wow, that's great. Good for you. Uh, but, but young ladies, if uh, you want to tell your husband you're a young stag, I'm sure he would appreciate that. <laughs> Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. She's in love with the peeping Tom. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely." Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains." Jesus, thank you so much, God, for these people, for bringing us here, and we thank you that no matter what season we're in, in singleness, if in dating, in marriage, divorce, widowed, whatever, God, whatever season we're in, your word can speak to us, and so it's not about what I say, but it's about what you speak through me into the hearts of the people here, and I pray for all of us, God, that your word would come alive 
as you say, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, that it would cut to the bone and marrow and pierce our soul, that we would understand your will and, and not try to live by rules or, or follow culture, but ultimately follow you so that we can live life the way you designed it, be fulfilled and satisfied in the way you've designed us. God, I love you, and I thank you for your word. Help me communicate it effectively. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Awesome, guys. So, again, this is a pretty amazing uh, song. If you dive in, we're going to go deeper. It'll get spicier later. But for now, I'm excited to talk to you guys today about dating. And again, I want to speak to you from the standpoint of, of dating, uh, from a lot from my experience. And uh, let me start a little bit back at the beginning. When I was um, growing up, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And uh, I know a lot of people uh, find that odd. You know, if my wife tells her story, if I tell mine, and they just assume that, oh, you're a pastor, you must have been, you know, born in a pew. But, you know, that's really not the case. And so I didn't learn who Jesus was until in, in high school, in the middle of high school, uh, three years in. You'll uh, get that later. And um, in the middle of high school, I, uh, I gave my life to Jesus. And I decided that at that point, I'd been in church a few times. I said, okay, I feel called to, to follow God. But in the moment, I, I remember telling God, I was like, God, I, I, don't, I know I can't live up to this standard. I know what you want me to do and how you want me to live. I can't do it. But, but God, I feel you calling me. So just take my life. And so in that moment, everything changed. In that moment, everything changed, and, and there was new strength, there was new standards, there was, there was a new heart for people, and so up till that point, I had always dated girls. I mean, think about it, junior high, high school, why do you date a girl? It's so you can make out with them, it's so you can mess around with them. I mean, let's be honest, and that, that's why, it's for the thrill of what you do when you're dating, okay? And so that was my only experience. But even up until my junior in high school, there was a wake behind me of pain and, 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 and drama. And I had hurt girls emotionally. And, and I had seen them suffer and me suffer the consequences with hurt relationships and, and lying to parents. And, and when I did things my way, according to the world's way, I was a, a jock and, and popular. And, and when I did things the way I thought I was supposed to in the way I wanted to, there just was left destruction. And it was fun in the moment, of course, but, but in the wake of it, there's nothing satisfying, fulfilling. There's no purpose in that. And so when I got to, uh, gave my life to Jesus, in that moment I decided, okay, I'm done with that. Like, I, I just, I, there's no point to it. I'm not getting married anytime soon. Why am I dating? This doesn't make sense. All I'm gonna do is cause myself damage and other people more damage. And so in that moment, still a virgin, decided I'm done dating. I just, I'm not going to do it anymore. And so I decided I was done. And in that moment, I, I stopped partying, stopped dating. And, and I remember friends thinking I was bizarre and weird and joined a cult. In fact, some of my family said the same thing. And, and even some of my friends' parents came to my parents and said, hey, you know, what, what's up with your son? He's acting weird. You better tell him to get, you know, brush this off because if he doesn't date now, drinking now, he's going to get to college and just go off the deep end. I mean, like it's going to build up in me like a chemical or something. Like, <laughs> come on. I mean, really. I mean, we're expected to do these things and get it out of our system, but, but the world does this all backwards. Our culture tells you to live life a certain way, and I've just found it doesn't work. And so we're going to talk about God's way in this, but, but when, we, when we talk about dating... There's so much divorce and pain and a lack of passion in marriages 
and there's, and there's broken homes, and there's, there's broken hearts. And, and when we look at the, the, the pattern of the world, it, for the most part, it just doesn't work. And, and, you know, if you look at media, they show when two people are physically intimate or when they're showing affection, 90% of the time, it's out of wedlock. They, they, they don't show marriages as intimate and loving, and so we go into this thinking like, well, you know, I'm getting married soon, so I better go out to the strip club now and get it out of my system before I get tied in the ball and chain. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're going into that mindset. But when we look at it God's way, marriage is meant to be passionate. Marriage is meant to be sexual. Marriage is meant to be emotional. There, there is the spiritual foundation if you do things the right way. And with that foundation we talked about last week, go back and watch it if you missed it. Go back. That's, that's so necessary. But when you do things the right way with the spiritual foundation, it, it's amazing. And it's satisfying. We're, we're wired for that. So the current model doesn't work. Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to the things of this world. Don't copy this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's why we're here. We're here in a, in a culture of other people that believe like we do. And, and not to say that we've made it all perfectly, we've done it all right. But say this is what we're aspiring toward, to live a godly life. And how can we encourage and strengthen one another to do that? And so I come up to you just knowing that uh, I, I haven't done this all right, but I'm excited to tell you about the things I have done right, the things I've messed up, and, and how I want to train my kids to have godly relationships. And the big thing is this, Ecclesiastes 3.1, Ecclesiastes, Solomon also wrote that, says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And so I, right now, the way that our, our world and our culture works with dating is that we don't understand the seasons of things. And we, we really want to do good things, the right things, but we're doing them in the wrong season. And so at this point, a lot of things we do are backwards. So let me go into a little bit more of my story about my, my wife and I and how we met. And again, this will be a little bit more personal, so I don't know what points you're going to write down, whatever God speaks to you. But, but I want to share with you a little bit about us and who we are and what we've been through. So uh, stopped dating, went to college. And, and at college, uh, I remember, you know, the, the Bible holds a really high standard. I did the best I could to, to live up to that standard, and, and I'm glad I did. Uh, I know that when I met uh, Mel, now at first, we talk about attraction, at first, we didn't mess this part up at all. We had plenty of that in, in the right way. Uh, but the dating thing, we didn't do great. So as we met uh, in college, when I first met Mel, she was actually, uh, I met her because a friend of mine who was on the football team, we were both linebackers on the football team together, so we worked day, you know, day-to-day with each other and were good friends. At the cafeteria, met his girlfriend, Melissa. Okay, so that was how we first met. So... My wife's beautiful, I mean, gorgeous, but initially, there wasn't this overwhelming physical attraction because, hi, my name's Brandon, you're the girlfriend of my friend. (laughs) And so initially, that's how we met, was she had a long-term relationship with someone from high school into college, and they've been together for a long time. And so initially, it wasn't based on a physical attraction. We'd pass in the halls occasionally and didn't really know each other until sophomore year, I got an email from someone who said, hey, you know, I've noticed you're always really friendly to people in the hallway, and, and I really appreciate how respectful you are. And, and uh, you know, and, and then I, I just took it as an opportunity. I didn't know who it was, just some random girl named Melissa. And I emailed back and said, well, the reason I do that is because Jesus Christ changed my life. And so, I, you know, I, I can love people more. And I took it as an opportunity to share my faith with some stranger. And immediately I got a response back saying, 
well, I have a lot of questions about God. Maybe you can help me with that. I feel this void in my life. And I remember turning to my roommate. I was like, hey, this girl's got a void. This girl's got a void. And really excited, like, this, this girl wants to know about God. And so, I, again, not really knowing who it was, I remember emailing back. And I was like, hey, well, if you want to meet for lunch, I can tell you more about my faith. And, and it was really uh, you know, it was really very innocent, but I remember thinking, like, is this the same Melissa that, that's dating my, my, my college teammate? I'm like, I don't know, we'll find out. So sure enough, it was, and, uh, and she later said that initially she actually went to her boyfriend and said, hey, you know, there's this guy that I want to ask a few questions, you know, about, you know, his faith, and he leads this ministry on campus, and is that okay? Because he was very, very jealous. And he goes, well, who? And she's like, well, Brandon Miller. He goes, oh, yeah, he's harmless. Go for it. It was a spiritual attraction, guys. Come on. <laughs> so, so we met, and I introduced her to Jesus. I introduced her to Jesus, said, here's what God's done in my life. And, uh, and it, was, it was amazing because she came to the ministry that it was a Fellowship of Christian Athletes that week. She came, and I was speaking, and that, right then and there, she's like, I'm ready. This is what I want. I don't know anything about the Bible. In fact, I tried to take her through some of the Bible, and I said some about Old Testament, New Testament. Was, what, old what? Who? New what? No idea. Well, go read, you know, here's the book of John, go read it. And she came back and she's like, I didn't read any of that. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, that was first John you were in. Nope, sorry, different. I mean, she had no biblical understanding at all. And, and uh, I mean, you wouldn't know that now. She's, she's amazing and she surpasses my knowledge, you know, uh, head and shoulders now. But, uh, but, but at the time she knew nothing about Jesus, but she had a long in her heart to know him. And so, and, and then over the weeks, I, her, over the weeks, her, uh, you know, I kind of kept up with her, and we did some Bible study with her and one of her friends. And, and later, I was like, how are things going? And she's like, well, gosh, I can't understand what's going on. I feel like I'm in an identity crisis. You know, I, I quit the cheerleading, and I quit my sorority, and I dumped my boyfriend. And I was like. <laughs> and, and, I, and I explained to her in that moment, I said, okay, I know you don't get it. It's an identity crisis, but this is what the Bible talks about, being born again. You're becoming a new person, being transformed in your mind, becoming different. And it, no one told her to do those things. No one told me to stop dating. No one said that. I was following what God had told me. And, and it's backed up in his word, the level of purity he wants for us. And, and I believe that God told her to do those things, but it wasn't following rules. It wasn't following a religion. It was a relationship with God who leads us into a fruitful life. Up to that point, I hadn't held hands with a girl, you know, from junior high on or high school on and hadn't kissed a girl, was a virgin. And, and so these are the standards I held for myself. And so uh, even, even, you know, coming into high school, that's very countercultural even for Christians. A lot of Christians in this room, uh, you know, date, date and, and, and mess around with girls. And, and, well, I'm not having sex, and, and maybe some are. But either way, you know, we're doing things like the world, maybe just like a little bit different. And, and well, I don't sleep with that many girls, not like so-and-so does. And, and we, we've really lowered the standards. And even as a Christian in college, I was criticized by, by my roommates, Christians in my ministry, saying, man, how are you going to know if she's a good kisser? And how are you going to know if, if, you know, you guys are physically compatible? Like, Please, like, it, it just doesn't make sense. And we have a spiritual foundation. That part takes care of itself. And so, and, we'll, you know, and, and the, the argument always goes, well, what if she's got bad habits? Like, of course she has bad habits. I've got plenty of them. Like, if it, 
Come on, like, you know, you know, if you don't live together, how are you going to know if, like, we're human, we're going to butt heads. I mean, so anyway, a lot of people don't understand the standards that we have if we try to aspire toward godly living. But I, but I want to challenge young women and young men, don't be afraid to raise the bar. I, I've had so many people tell me, like, oh, that's not realistic. Sure it is. If you believe it is, then it is. If I believe that I can do it and God can give you the strength to do it, then you can do it. You can live through a godly relationship and you don't have to settle for a guy that doesn't love God passionately and is going to pursue your purity before he pursues your body. And, and so, anyway, so when Mel and I finally, uh, you know, got together, it, it was, we'd formed a great friendship and, uh, and, and I didn't steal her from her boyfriend. That was down the road, of course. Uh, but, uh, but, but looking back, when we, when we, our attraction was very spiritually grounded. And, and I'd like to say that, you know, my amazing stag-like physique is what attracted her to me. <laughs> but, but initially, that wasn't it. It really wasn't. It was that the, the spiritual attraction was there first and foremost. And she saw me leading ministry and, and pursuing my destiny and, and, and working toward a cause to help people. And, and under that spiritual attraction, there, there birthed a great relationship. And then as we got into dating it gets more challenging. It gets more challenging. We didn't do that perfectly, okay? And there's some great lessons I want to teach you from, from dating, from the scripture here, and explain more about what you can do in dating and, and what that looks like or should look like. And again, we didn't do it perfectly. Now, we did wait until we were married to have sex, but, but we still made mistakes and, and did more physically than we think we should have and felt guilty about it. And, and again, when we did things that we didn't believe were right in God's eyes. There was, there was that, you know, the, the conviction and, ah, oh, I just don't feel good about it. And, and it, it really tarnished a lot of what should have been a great season. And it was a great season, but, but not as good as it could have been had we really been better prepared for that. And so I want to share with you, and if you're already married, if you're past this point, or if you're not there yet, either way, this is something you want to keep notes for yourself, for your kids, share with others. This is, these are truths that you're going to be able to take to whatever season of life you're in. So real quick, I want to touch, uh, talk to you about uh, three, three points here about, about, about dating and about relationships. Um, in the verse we just read, verses 8 and 10, and the, this is kind of the funny part. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through our windows, looking through the lattices. And again, this is really just that point where you know, you're dating Superman or Superwoman, like, man, they're just perfect. And, and really, I think a lot of us, this is, uh, the, the point number one here is that, uh, is that really dating can really be a season of perfection, of perfection. And, and oftentimes we're, we're looking for that perfect person, or, or sometimes we're dating someone and we look at them as if they are perfect, and we really are so emotionally engaged that we can't see people for who they really are. And I know that for my wife and I, when we first met, because I led her to Jesus and was teaching her so much about the word and about ministry and all these things that, that is really our heart's passion, uh, she saw me as uh, on a pedestal. Like, man, he's the man, he's perfect. And, and really, I allowed that for way too long. I, I enjoyed that. You know, I enjoyed her looking at me like that. And so, and so that caused issues. And so really during this season, it's really critical that you're surrounded by people that can help you see things with the right perspective and really allow parents to help you see things, to allow pastors to help you see things. And we made an effort to submit to accountability, submit to authority, but honestly, 
not nearly like we should have. And so I want to challenge you in that to submit your relationship to authority. Get pastors involved. Get, get uh, fr- godly friends involved. Seek counsel and, and really submit yourself to others who can help you see things from a proper perspective and, and see through a lot of the emotional uh, blindfolds that, that can keep us from seeing things the way they really are. We don't want to suffer through that blindness because in the moment uh, we, we see people as perfect, you know, later you're going to have a lot of disappointment, right? I mean, this young stag that we just read about, a few chapters later, he's using his stag strength to punch through a wall in their conflict, okay? He's not perfect. But in the moment, he gets so wrapped up in it that we see them as perfect. And so it's important that we're not looking for the perfect person or see them as perfect, but we look at them perfectly. We see them the way God sees them, with all their flaws, with all their, their failures, with transparency, to be able to know exactly who we're going to be committing ourselves to. And that shouldn't keep you from, from being with that person necessarily. But you need to know what you're getting into and, and really be honest about that. And you need to evaluate each other in real life scenarios. We can put ourselves in a position where we, you know, we look perfect and we've got the cologne on and, okay, smell good. And we, and we put on a face for this person we're dating. But what do they look like when they're, what are they, how do they treat their sister? How do they treat their mom? How do they treat their pastor? How do they talk about their boss when they're not at work? I mean, let's evaluate each other in real life scenarios, shall we? And really know how these people treat others so that we say, okay, can I deal with that? You know, if she's gossiping, okay, can I live with and, and marry a gossiper? Let's just assume for a minute that the person you're going to marry will never change. Let's be realistic because we think, well, when, when, when we get married, he'll be different. No, he won't. He will not be different. His feet will still stink. He will have the same bad habits. If he does change, praise God, that, that's a miracle. But just plan on him not changing. Well, when, 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 we, when we get married, maybe then he'll, he'll probably stop looking at pornography then. Or, you know, he'll probably like kids later. Uh, or, I hope he does. Otherwise, Mel and Blaine don't have kids. I mean, think about everything the way they are right now. I mean, is that someone you can marry? Let's look at them realistically and, and not lower our standards, but look at them perfectly it, with their flaws, with their issues. Can I be committed to this person? The next point here is that in the dating season, it's a, it's a season of preparation. A season of preparation. In verses 11 and 12, this is, this is really neat. Uh, he, he says here, For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of spring has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. And they're talking about flowers blooming, the seasons changing, the winter is past. And during the winter, you don't have, well, unless you live in San Diego, of course, but you don't have the blooming flowers and the fruit on the trees. But during winter, it's cold, and this is where plants take their root. And this is where plants create a stability for the future fruit. And, and it's the change in seasons now. So the dating season has to be a season of preparation for the future. And we need to recognize those seasons, like I said early on from Ecclesiastes, that much of what we do in dating is the right things in the wrong seasons. And so uh, this has got to be a season of preparation. Now, when I look back, I often think very logistically. And so I think, man, I wish I would have prepared with my career. I wish I would have prepared with my finances. I wish I would have prepared with... Uh, you know, and, I mean, all these logistics that I wish I would have done better, you know. 
Uh, and those are good things. I almost focused on some of those logistics. But honestly, you know, thinking more about it and talking to my wife about this, honestly, we have a phenomenal marriage. Not perfect, but absolutely amazing. And we have our own issues, and we work through them in a godly way. And, and, and I, I could not stress enough how, how it's important it is to have a godly uh, relationship. But the preparation that I want to kind of focus on here is not necessarily all the logistics, because let's be honest, it's like having a baby. Like, you're never really ready. You know what I mean? I mean, how many kids know? Pregnant people, you'll find out. You're never really ready. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with marriage. You're not really ready. You can do a lot of logistical things, but what I would emphasize to you is this. In preparation, you're not waiting for Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect, but how can you become Mr. Perfect and Mrs. Perfect? And, and, and really, it's about your character. It's about your integrity. It's about your own purity. I mean, we want to practice the way we play in everything else in life. I want to, you know, do well in school so I can do well in my career. I want to practice the football play so that I can execute it, you know, perfectly on the field in the moment. And we, we imagine in our minds, I mean, and really they teach this in business, in, in athletics. They teach the, the art of visualization, and it's really like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I want to envision my future and what it looks like. And so we may say, yeah, I want this relationship but, but honestly, what are we focused on? What are we preparing for? Well, we're, we're looking at pornography and we're lusting after women and we're practicing dating and then discarding and then dating and discarding and we, and we give ourselves over to multiple partners for what? For monogamy later? That's not practicing what we're going to be playing. Play the game of monogamy now. Play the game of fidelity now in your singlehood, in your dating but again, we've just, we just lowered the bar, and it's not to say that you're a horrible person for having messed that up. I've messed up too, but it's a matter of just giving up that, well, it's not realistic, and, and guys don't have those standards, or why should I? And, and if I don't sleep with him, then he probably won't marry me. And, and so we have all these things tearing at us from the inside out saying, this is the way I, I have to do it, and I don't have a choice. And, but yes, you do. There are godly men who want to wait and, and keep themselves for their wife. My wife says that was the best thing I ever did was just wait for her. It's just wait for her. And, and not give myself to partners and have heartbreaks. And, and, and when I have sex with my wife, I'm not imagining all my partners from the past. I don't have that. How do you know she's going to be good in bed? Well, guess what? She's the only partner I've ever slept with. She's great in bed. <laughs> I don't know anything else. You know, I mean... She's great. What am I comparing to? I don't know. I mean, and it's funny, and I know that not many people in this room can say that about their past, and so it's not judgmental. If God can make all things new right now where you're at. Right now where you're at, God can make all things new. He can wipe away the past. Before I was a Christian, I did mess around with girls, and, and God wiped all that away, and he can erase the, the, the mistakes you've made, the things you've looked at. He can bring healing to those things, and so I say that to bring hope that it's not too late. If you're single, you're dating, you're married, whatever, God can erase that and give you a fresh start. Someone give God a hand clap for that. I'm excited. Thank you, Jesus. But it's a season of preparation, and, and um, I wanted to give this quick illustration about that. In, in uh, traditional Jewish weddings, they have what they call, I don't know how to say it, it's like a, like a hapa or a hapa. I don't know. It's got a little you know, throaty thing in it, hapa. 
Uh, but anyway, in these, in these uh, traditional Jewish weddings, there are these canopies that they use as a symbol of the house to which they would begin their marriage. And it was the house that the groom, the son, w- would build for his future bride, for his new family, and build it brick by brick, stone by stone. And they value this season of preparation, these winter months, where they would begin to prepare for the future fruit, the future harvest. And we've lost sight of that, about preparing our house. And by preparing your house, preparing your character and who you are, you can begin to become the husband, become the wife that you will need to be when that time comes. Because you're not going to become that later. If you do, it's going to come with a lot of challenges. And some people realize that when they bring baggage into marriage, that their, their house wasn't built and they're struggling to become better. And sometimes it gets so painful that, that they give up and they haven't, they're not able to become that person fast enough or, or have the heart of God to be able to forgive their spouse enough. Lastly, uh, dating is a season of purity. Dating is a season of purity. Uh, verse 15 Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine and I am his. He gazes, grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Catch the foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. The little foxes, catch the little foxes, the ones that creep in and, and they, 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 they bite off the the, the blossoms, that, that later that, that flower is what becomes the fruit, right? But before that ever comes, they, they undermine, they cut, they, they thwart the growth, and they destroy the future that God has in store for that vineyard. What, what is it that's undermining your destiny, the, the fullness of what God has in store for you? If you're married, this, is, this question's for you as well. What are the small foxes creeping in to your vineyard? chewing the bottom of the vine that the whole vine would would die? What are the small foxes in your singlehood that would keep you from living a fruitful marriage down the road? Maybe it is sexual impurity. Maybe it is pornography. Maybe it's drug abuse. Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness or gossip. I don't know what it is for you. What are the small foxes that, that sneak in and go unnoticed that would keep you from an amazing destiny that God has for you? I, I'm, I'm just blown away when you learn the, 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 uh, the combination of science and faith and how when you look at the anatomy of the brain and the, and the synapses and the way the brain works and how we have pleasure pathways is, is the way they're described. And, and we train our brain to feel pleasure in a certain way. And when it's in a monogamous relationship, my wife is in my pleasure pathway. That's it. I, I don't think about anyone else. I don't have pornography in my mind. I, I don't... I, I, I can't. I, that's how I'm wired now. And, and oftentimes we, 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 uh, we have uh, these other pleasure pathways that we, that we invite in, and it corrupts the ability for us to have pleasure solely in our spouse. We're wired for monogamy when done right, and we can corrupt that. And, and over time, and, and even, even miraculously, God can, can take away those things and bring healing. So again, have hope in God. But ultimately, I love the way that God's wired us for an amazing, fruitful destiny that goes beyond our understanding of the way he's made us to have so much joy and passion in our marriage. And it's got to start with, with again, having the right attraction, not, not showing off your body to attract someone, but, but showing off your spirit and your love for other people and pursuing your destiny. 
and, and not getting caught up in the emotions of, man, that was a really romantic dinner and a great time, but, but spiritually, is there a connection here that I can trust in this individual for my family, for my future kids, and have that forethought? And so that, that season has to be a season of purity. Catch the, 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 catch the foxes that ruin the vineyards. And so, again, I, I'm not going to tell you what those foxes are for you. For my wife and I, honestly, it was probably initially a lack of transparency. Me wanting to keep the, the facade that, that I was perfect and that I was doing things right and, and that I lacked weaknesses. And, and I didn't tell her about my temptations, about my weaknesses, and, and I didn't explain those things. I didn't tell her if I was ever tempted because that's not a big deal. It's just temptation. I didn't really sin. I was just tempted. And then, but eventually you need to have that transparency. And for us, that was a small fox that caused a lot of damage in our vineyard. And, and again, God takes care of all that. I'm blessed to serve a God who can bring healing, but, but we didn't do everything perfect. I didn't do everything perfect. But we serve a God who can allow us to live perfectly for him and to make mistakes and be forgiven and be healed. And, and so I want to give you hope today that we serve a God who is magnificent. And we serve a God who says that even though you haven't held the standard, I've died for you to forgive all of that. I've died so you can forgive all of that, to forgive all the mistakes and all the mess-ups. And, and, and from those mess-ups, he, he's broken-hearted for your broken heart. He doesn't judge. It's the woman who was caught in, 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 uh, in adultery, in fornication, sex out of wedlock. Was that a sin? Yes. But, but he says that, you know, where are those who would persecute you? And they'd all walked away. And he says, I'm not going to persecute you either. And he showed grace to that individual who was ashamed and broken. But he also said, now go and sin no more. And it's a combination of grace, but an expectation that to whom much is forgiven, much is expected, and who loves much. I've been forgiven a lot of mistakes, so I love my God very much. And I love my wife very much, who showed God's forgiveness to me. And so all in all, we did some things great. We messed up a lot along the way. But through all this, I believe in God's word that when done right, it is more satisfying and, and more gratifying and more fruitful than anything else the world can, can give you and portray to you. And so I want to challenge you to try things God's way. Get with godly couples. Get with a godly uh, husband and wife and their kids. Hang out with them. See what that really looks like in the challenges, you know, in, in when there's poopy diapers. What does that look like? How does the husband react? How does the wife react? I mean, really get a feel for what a real godly marriage is. It's not perfect, but it's amazing when done right. And we forgive each other, so... Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you so much, God. Thank you so much that, that, God, we can mess it all up, but, God, you can bring restoration. You can bring healing. And, God, thank you that you love us enough to not, uh, to, to not hold us uh, to the sins, but you want to forgive us. You're anxious to forgive us. Like the prodigal son who came, who came home, the father was looking in the distance for him to return, waiting for him to come back. And there's people in this room that, that have messed up, God, and I'm one of them. But uh, God, I thank you that, that we can live and strive for the highest standard to pursue the goodness that you have for us. And I thank you so much, God, that, uh, that you bring forgiveness and strength, Lord, to, uh, to us. And so, God, I pray for the people here. God, that you would help us raise the bar. That we would not be afraid to break up with that individual. That we would not be afraid to confront our significant other and say, we need to do things differently. I pray for the people here that they would not be afraid to to identify the small foxes and say that I'm willing to give that up and catch it and destroy it and surrender to you, God. God, you're so good. Thank you for joining us today. 
For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.